Each week as we worship together, we're going to be adding in a new little segment to our worship service about a minute and a half each Sunday called a Vision Moment. And our goal uh, with adding a Vision Moment each week is to put back in front of us the call of God upon our lives as a congregation. So we're going to take a minute and a half each Sunday to reflect upon a specific element of our vision as a congregation. This morning, we're just going to recap our mission as a congregation, our overall vision, and then moving forward, we'll just take a little snippet each week. But our mission as a congregation comes from Matthew chapter 28, basically very simple, right from Jesus. King of glory exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. We exist simply to help other people follow Jesus. That's what we want to do as a congregation. That's what we do as individuals is follow Jesus. Now corporately, the church's one mission is to help other people enter into a life of following Jesus. So what we do is we flush out our mission statement with our vision statement. Our vision statement is really just puts flesh on our mission. If we're living out our mission, if we're actually making disciples, this is what's going to be happen, happening if we're doing that. So we've got four pieces to our vision statement. First, you can kind of consider this followers of Jesus Christ do the following. This is what we do. We are worshiping together regularly to glorify Jesus Christ. We are transforming into the likeness of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are knowing and caring for one another as a family of believers. We are reaching out to the world with acts of service and proclamation of God's Word. Those four things, that's what we do because that's what followers of Jesus Christ do. So if we're succeeding in our mission, this is exactly what's going to be happening. We're going to be gathering together every week for worship. This is what followers of Jesus done. They've always gathered around God's proclaimed Word because God's proclaimed Word is the revelation of who God is and the desires of God. So we worship together regularly. Not only do we worship together regularly, but we're also being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. As a follower of Jesus, I'm an apprentice of Jesus, which means I'm supposed to become more like my master. And so all of us here, we should actually be undergoing transformation. I want you to say something with me. I like change. Let's say that together. I like change. Change is actually a necessity for a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are not experiencing change, you should actually hear a very solemn warning this morning from Jesus that danger is ahead. Because all of us know that we need some tweaks in our life. We need some adjustment in our thinking, in our, in our feeling, in our actions. We should be experiencing transformation as we grow in the knowledge through God's Word and then transform into the image of Christ. But we don't just worship we don't just experience transformation. The beauty of, of the church is that we were not created to follow Jesus alone, but we were created to do it together as a community. Therefore, we have to know and care for one another. That you cannot follow Jesus alone. You were, not, you were grafted into the people of God. You were, you were brought into this new community. We're not going to have a little heaven someday where it's just us and God, but it's going to be the people of God gathered around the throne. And if you want to experience joy, if you want to experience the life that God has for you, we have to live in community with one another. Therefore, we need to know one another and care for one another. And the beauty of this, this is not just for us. Therefore, we're not really fully living our mission until we're reaching out to the world around us and sharing the good news of Jesus through acts of service and also proclaiming God's word. So that's why we continually as a congregation provide opportunities for acts of service but then also are challenging us constantly to find ways to say, how can I reach out to the next person with the good news of Jesus Christ? All of us should be worshiping, transforming, knowing and caring, and reaching. That's our mission as a congregation 
So each week moving forward, we're just going to focus on one of the areas, but I'd really encourage you to memorize these four things. And if you see something going on in the congregation, we should be able to draw a direct line back to one of these four areas. If we're doing something that doesn't fit under one of these four categories, we shouldn't be doing it because we're most likely just doing it because we want to be a club or a tradition or whatever. Everything we need to do needs to flow from these four areas of our vision, which flows from our mission. So this morning, to help us kind of ingrain it in our mind, I want us to say together these six words, and then you just memorize these things, because this is who I am as a follower of Jesus Christ. This is also who we are as the church of God. Let's say these together. Worshiping, transforming, knowing and caring, reaching. And it's my hope that all of us would experience all four continually, so that we as a congregation are faithful to Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you right now offering ourselves first as individuals. We submit to you, Jesus, as our Lord and our Master. We also now submit to you as a congregation. Jesus, you are Lord of this church, and we pray that you would build this church here in Sioux Falls and use it to bless this community. God, we pray that you would strengthen our times of worship each week. God, I ask that you would give each member here a personal desire to gather together, a hunger to sing your praise, a hunger to hear your word. God, we also pray that you would take each of our lives, that you would change us. God, we acknowledge that there are many things in our lives that do not glorify you. Therefore, God, we want to change. We want to be transformed. And God, we ask today that you would transform us into your image. Lord, we come before you as people who are also hurting and in need of support. God, this morning I pray for anyone in our midst who is lonely, anyone who's experiencing isolation. God, I pray that you would move upon them to engage in the congregation to become known and cared for. And I also pray, O oh Lord, that you'd move upon all of us to reach out to others in our congregation, to get to know them and care for them. Lord, I pray that you'd knit us together as a family, enable us to love one another as you have loved us. And God, this morning, we recognize that oftentimes we keep this stuff for ourselves. Lord, help us to reach out to the community around us. We pray this morning, it's our earnest desire as a congregation to reach out to people who are hurting, to reach out to people who do not know you. Lord, I pray for laborers right here out of King of Glory to go forth and to share your good news. God, we ask that you build your kingdom through us. God, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for all of your goodness and your kindness. We ask now that as we turn our hearts to your word, that you would take your word and transform our thinking. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, beginning with the 23rd verse. Continuing in our follow series, last week we looked at the first portion of Matthew chapter 23 as we're trying to gain clarity on what Jesus is calling us to do, who Jesus is calling us to be. And, and we're looking right now specifically at how Jesus interacts with the religious leaders. And in doing that, we kind of get real good clarity on what Jesus doesn't want from us, what helps us kind of get a clear picture of what he does want from us. So we continue looking at Jesus' interaction with the religious establishment. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and human and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding of the, in the shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? The word of the Lord. Every night about 9, 9.30, there's a great temptation that overcomes me. Temptation to, to head to the freezer. And the reason that, it, that it's a problem is because it's a slippery slope. And it doesn't just affect me, but it affects others. Usually about 9 or 9.30, you kind of got a little bit of hunger kind of starting to come upon you after supper, and it's like, oh, why not just a little frozen Kit Kat to kind of give me that last boost of energy before the night comes to a close. See, the problem is they package those things so small thing that they, when you grab one frozen little Kit Kat, what does it ultimately lead to? Well, you've got to have another one. thing. If you're going to go, you might as well get enough energy to at least last a lot longer. And so usually it's a slippery slope and that one leads to two, two leads to three, three leads to four. And now when you're at four, though, you're really only at the full package of Kit Kat thing. thing. And so it's okay, actually, to go a little farther than four. But thankfully, there's only about seven or eight in a package. You see, it's a slippery slope because you grab one, what's going to happen? You can't just have one. And it's not just a slippery slope because it's just me, because there always seems to be this little person in the house that can sense when the freezer door opens. And the moment the freezer door opens, the little person just happens to grab your leg and kind of, mine, mine. You see, I can't just have one, but they can't just have one as well. It's a slippery slope. It's danger. It's okay to have one, but you better watch out because soon you could be having the whole package. You know, as a follower of Christ, there is a slippery slope. There is a danger before us. And especially for the majority of us that are gathered here this morning, because if we're honest with ourselves, the majority of us have known the name Jesus since birth. The majority of us are very comfortable in a church setting. And that even makes the slope a little bit slippier. Slip, slip, slipperier? Slipperier thing. Sorry, thing. And it makes it more likely that we're going to go down that slope. And it's warned to us this morning by Jesus. The danger is that you and I would become like the religious leaders, that we would become full of outward actions that do not come from inward authenticity. The danger is that you and I would participate in meaningless religious activity without the adoration of a heart that wants to do the right thing. Jesus is speaking very bluntly today to religious leaders who have slid down the slope. He's speaking very plainly to these religious leaders. He's not name-calling. He's just speaking about reality. We hear Jesus speak like this, and oftentimes we think like, 
well, Jesus is just being mean, or, or Jesus is just using harsh language. All Jesus is doing here is giving a solemn warning and painting a picture of reality for the religious leaders. The difference between when Jesus uses harsh language and you and I use harsh language, Jesus actually brings the harsh language into reality. So I can say, oh, that person's an idiot. Well, me saying that person is an idiot doesn't make them an idiot. But when Jesus says, you brood of vipers, you will not escape hell. Jesus is just not using fancy language. Jesus is actually speaking reality into happening. He's actually speaking that this is what's going to take place. So when Jesus says, woe to you, he's actually giving a warning that this is about what's to happen to you. Damnation is about to come upon you. Condemnation, punishment is about to take place with you because when Jesus speaks, it happens. Jesus is not trying to scare the religious leaders. He's just giving them a portrait of what's going to happen if they continue down this path. And it's a solemn warning for you and I this morning that Jesus lays forth a very scary reality for those who enter into a life of meaningless religious activity. For those who enter into a life that does not have a transformed heart as a part of it. This morning, the slippery slope for you and I is that we would enter into this religious life rather than experience the heart transformation that Jesus has for us. You see, Jesus this morning is basically clarifying the call. Last week we understood that Christ is calling us to a consistent life, one where what we practice matches what we preach. This week he's, he's taking that consistency to the next level, saying, I desire consistency and authenticity. Authenticity is when the outward matches the, the inner heart. You know, all sorts of people can do something, but it's not authentic because they did not want to do it. There's a lot of things that claim to be something that they're not. Every store these days has these pops that they claim are just the, the greatest thing because they match the other type of soda drink. And so what happens is you have someone like myself who just has a special gift of, of determining the purity of a soda beverage. And you go over to someone's house and they, and they know kind of what you enjoy, but you know they just kind of assume that the other type of beverage basically tastes the same way. So they're really excited when you come over, right? They're like, hey, we got your favorite beverage, pour it in the glass with the six ice cubes. They know everything the way I like it. Bring it out. But little do they know, the moment my lips and tongue touch this, I know this is hee-haw and not Mountain Dew thing. <laughs> I mean, hee-haw is not authentic, right? It's trying to be someone else. Hy-Vee's trying to capitalize on the greatness of Mountain Dew. But it's inauthentic. It doesn't match. This morning, Jesus is calling for authenticity. Not that we would try to be something we are not. And not that we would be something that we are not. But rather, that we would experience heart transformation that would lead to outward behavior. So our outer is matching our inner. Jesus is calling us to a life of authenticity. And that life of authenticity begins actually with a life of consistency. A life of authenticity begins with consistency. Let's look at the first few verses here, 23 through 24. What's the problem? What's Jesus getting after? Jesus is yelling at the religious leaders. He says, for you tithe, 
mint and dill and cumin. You have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. This is actually kind of crazy when you think about it. So here you have religious leaders that are tithing. Now, let's think about this for a second. Tithing is probably, if all of us were honest, one of the greatest challenges we see in God's Word. And the proof is in the pudding. The average American Christian that's a member of a church gives 2.2%. And that's just kind of reality. So now I'm sitting here going, I'll take a few scribes and Pharisees among us. I mean, the scribes and the Pharisees are tithing. They're, they're, they're taking this command that most false, but they're actually living it out. Yet Jesus is saying to them, you blind guides. What's going on? The Pharisees are not being consistent. You see, what they're doing is they're, they're putting all of this attention on their tithing to the smallest little thing, but they're actually forgetting the overarching picture. You know, it's, it's kind of like an experience that I had when I was working at the fairgrounds a, a couple of summers ago. Thing We were um, working on redoing all of the bleacher seats in the, whole, in the whole place and putting new screws down and tightening everything back up. It was a mess. Every other seat was missing. It was, it was all wobbly. And so I bring one of the board members from the fair board out there to look at it, and we're wandering around looking at Stephanie, and he calls me over and says, hey, um, do you think as you're going along here, you could get um, some of this gum off of around the bottom edge of the seat? You know, there's some gum on the bottom. Do you think you could have some people help pull that off as you're going along? Well, okay, but do you not see the bigger issue here? That when I sit down here, that side comes up like that thing. You know, he could not get his mind around the gum that was on the bottom of the chair. Now, is the gum on the bottom of the chair a good thing? No, it's not a good thing. Yes, you should do something about it. But in the big picture, what's the bigger issue? If I sit down and that seat goes up like this, or if I sit down and the whole seat goes down, you should have focused what? Let's fix the seats thing. But you lose sight of the big picture when you get caught up with something small. This is exactly what was happening with the Pharisees. Here they are. They're going down to every little thing with their growing in their garden saying, do I have to tithe on all of this? And But they, at the same time, they were forgetting God's revealed will regarding justice and mercy. If you look at the Old Testament and the prophets, the thing that the prophets were always upset about was when God's people would gather for all of their festivals, but yet God's people were neglecting justice. Or in other words, they were neglecting the widow and the orphans. We see it multiple times in the Old Testament. We see it in Micah even. And we saw it in our passage this morning. God's calling out and saying, hey, you guys are doing all of this stuff and you're even claiming my name, but I'm bringing destruction because you're not seeking the revealed will of God. They're getting caught up in minute details. In other words, the religious leaders are majoring in the minor and minoring in the major. And if we're to be authentic followers of Christ, what should get our blood boiling, what should get us excited is the major overarching themes of Jesus' teaching of the revealed will of God. But the reality is most of us get excited about the minor stuff. And this is even true in our relationships with one another. That in our relationships with one another, we could actually refine one another and, and sharpen one another if we would focus on the major instead of the minor. You see, what happens when we focus on the minor things, when, when someone's doing something that just bothers us, what they're doing might not necessarily be wrong, it's just more bothersome to us. We confront them on that. What does that do? That puts up an automatic wall. 
Anytime confrontation happens, a wall goes up and you slowly, you keep confronting over minor things, what happens? You soon just kind of become abrasive to one another. But then when you need to confront over a major issue, you can't because of the wall that's been built up because you've been confronting over minor issues the whole time. When in reality, we should be confronting one another over major things, not over minor things. And the same is true as a, as a corporate body, as the church, that we would not get stuck on, on minute details, but rather what would cause us pain, cause us heartache, is the major themes, the major teachings of God that are being neglected. I long for the day when someone will stand up at an annual meeting and say, hey, there's 50,000 people that are going to die today in Africa if the church doesn't do something. When church members stand at the door and knock and say, until our church leaders have a plan to bring clean water, we will not be quiet. But what do we usually get excited about? Well, what color of carpet should we have? I noticed that uh, the pictures on the bulletin are a little outdated. When's the last time that you lost sleep over the fact that 110,000 people approximately on a Sunday morning in Sioux Falls are not worshiping anywhere? Are we losing sleep? Are we getting stressed about the things that are major in the sight of God? Or are we getting stuck on minutia, minor details? And this is where the consistency comes in. You notice what Jesus says here. He says, hey, yeah, you can take care of this tithing thing, but unless you do this other thing at the same time, it just wipes away all this other stuff that you are doing. So even though the Pharisees are tithing, that which most will not even touch with a 10-foot pole, Jesus is saying, you're done. Because they've missed the major point. Justice and mercy and faithfulness to God. How about you and I this morning? What if we gave scrupulous attention to the revealed desires of God rather than our own preferences? What if we gave scrupulous attention to the revealed desires of God? For the majority of us today, we give scrupulous attention to something, right? All of us care about something, whether it be in our, in our homes, wherever it might be, and that thing really just gets a lot of attention from us. So for example, not to say this is bad at all, but think of our lawn care for a second. We, we give our lawns a ton of attention. There's even, uh, um, there's even a law in the city of Sioux Falls about how high your lawn can get. We give our lawns a ton of attention, certain sprinkler systems, certain fertilizers at certain times of year. We rush home from vacation. Why? So we can get the lawn cut before the neighbors start wondering what's going on. We give our lawns a ton of attention. But now when you take a step back and think about our lawns for a second, 70 years maybe thing? If you look at 70 years in the light of the whole grandiose scheme of eternity, you've saved some grass for what? Nothing. Now, I'm not saying don't mow your lawn next summer. But think if we took the amount of energy and attention we gave something like that, and we gave that much energy and attention to the revealed desire of God for justice or for mercy. Are we scrupulous about the things that God cares about? Not only does, does Jesus say, I want you to be consistent, going after the whole package, but the next thing Jesus gets in here too in verses 25 through 28 is that Jesus desires us to be about the development of the heart rather than fixing behavior. Jesus desires us to be about the development of the heart 
rather than fixing behavior. Look with me, if you will, at verse 25. Jesus says, For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. And then he goes on in verse 27. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones in all uncleanness. You see, the Pharisees, if you looked at them from the outside, they actually looked pretty good. But, but God doesn't just have outside, out, a view of our outside behavior. Jesus sees everything. He sees our inward desires. He knows if our outward behaviors are actually coming from a heart that desires it. And this is what Jesus wants us to be about is, is the development of a heart because when we develop the heart, or in other words, you could say when we develop the whole person, the way a person thinks, the way a person feels, the way a person views the world, we want to develop that, that whole person. From that development will flow behavior that honors God. That's why it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it talks about, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices no longer conforming to the patterns of the world, but rather being transformed in your minds. So God is actually hoping that we're transformed in our minds because when that happens, what actually then begins to flow is outward behavior that matches our inward desires. And this is hard because people are messy and heart development work is not easy. Think of yourself for a second. How long does it take you to change? I know myself thing. And now you're walking alongside someone trying to also help them enter into a new way of thinking, into a new way of being. It's messy and dirty. And if you don't focus on always just fixing the outward behavior, there's always going to be the slip-ups until you're able to form the whole person. Think about it this way for a second. Oftentimes with little kids and and teachers and, and daycare, and when a kid acts out, at daycare or at school, a lot of times what will happen is if a kid's acting out against another kid, what do they do? Well, he doesn't get along with Johnny so well, so let's put Franklin over here with Francisca. So what they've done is what? You've changed the circumstances to fix behavior. What you haven't done is you haven't found out why does Franklin always respond that way to Johnny? What's causing that anxiety in Franklin? What's causing that bitterness that that brings about that response? Because just switching people, now what's going to happen? At some point, Francisca's going to do something. How's Franklin going to respond? Bitterness, anger. So we've got to get to the heart of the matter. What's bringing that out? Jesus does not just desire for us to, to fix little behaviors but he desires to transform the heart so what flows out is behavior that honors him. We're supposed to be in the business of heart development. This is the central issue. The religious leaders were doing some good stuff, but the good stuff they were doing was not coming from a transformed heart that adored God. The slippery slope for you and I today is that we would go down the same path as these religious leaders. Jesus said, as we read last week to the disciples, hey, watch out, be on guard. Don't don't be like the Pharisees. Why? Because Jesus knows the end game. And this is the solemn warning that Jesus is giving. Jesus knows the end game is destruction for the individuals when they're unwilling to repent and to have a new heart placed in them. 
I right now, I'm, if, you go to my, if you go to my house right now in my driveway, I've got a serious problem thing. It's like an ice skating rink thing. There's just ice everywhere near the back area by the garage. Well, what happened was earlier um, this, this winter, some of the winter help got a little bit lazy in shoveling. And so what they did was they just took all of the snow and they kind of stacked it on right next to the kind of the house where the dogs walk out into the backyard, but it's still part of the driveway. Basically, the winter helped just move snow so the, snow, so the car could back out. The problem with that approach is that now the dogs walk on those piles throughout the last month or so, So now, and the piles just keep getting added to, but yet packed down by 100-pound labs. So now you've got a, pound, a pile, basically, of ice. Well, what happens now when the water comes across the driveway? It's got nowhere to go. So it just pools up against that pile of ice. As that pools up, what does it do? It just keeps backing up further and further and further. Now, I could go out, I could send, I should say, I could, I could send the winter help out to do some chiseling on, on the driveway. But if you're doing chiseling on the driveway, I could chisel it out, get a nice little path for the car today. But what's going to happen tomorrow? the ice is going to be right back unless I take care of the serious issue. What I need to do is remove that pile and create a pathway to the backyard rather than just piddling around chipping ice on the driveway. The same is true in our spiritual lives today. A lot of the times, we're just over here playing around with little behaviors, trying to get it right, those behaviors that people see, when really we have not dealt with the serious issue, and that is a new heart where Jesus is Lord. You see, the serious issue for the Pharisees and the religious leaders is that they had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And so all they're doing is now they're just playing games because they've rejected Jesus as Lord. They've rejected the opportunity for a new heart. This morning, Jesus calls us not to just do some little tweaking around not just to trim the shrubs a little bit, but Jesus calls us to have a whole new heart where He is Lord. And from that whole new heart flows outward behavior that glorifies and honors Him. So the question that keeps coming back to my mind is, how do we go about this? I mean, you know, the usual response in a church setting is what? Read your Bibles more. If everybody would just read your Bibles more this, this next week, I, I think we could really get to the heart of the matter here. We, we could really do it. But then when you think about the situation that Jesus is dealing with, these people that Jesus is dealing with know the Bible better than anyone in this room ever will. They probably had Genesis through Exodus memorized. They knew God's law. Yet what was the issue? They had a hardened heart. They were not submissive to the author of the Word. I would argue there's enough Bible knowledge here at King of Glory. The issue is not Bible knowledge. Do we need more? Yes, we need more. But the central issue is not knowledge. The central issue is a submissive spirit to the author of God's Word, God Himself. The new habit that we need is a habit that says, Jesus, you are Lord at your word. Jesus, you are Lord at your word. Say that with me. Jesus, you are Lord at your word. This is the central issue. We know the word. 
The question is, are we submissive to the author of it? And this is the new habit that we need to get into, is thinking of Jesus as Lord, not a moral teacher, not one who has great ideas or little suggestions, but rather King of the universe who we submit to. There's a slippery slope, and it's a solemn warning from Jesus this morning. That slippery slope is one of religious activity where we go about doing certain things, where we go about changing certain behaviors to get people's attention and to keep the peace. And that slippery slope leads to a scary destination. Jesus couldn't make it any clearer. He says, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Jesus isn't in the business of scaring. He's just in the business of speaking reality. This slippery slope is extremely dangerous. But the good news this morning is this. We don't have to take the slippery slope. We don't have to try and do certain things because Jesus has come and lived the perfect life. We don't have to earn a new heart because Jesus gives us a new heart. We don't have to trim our own behavior because Jesus will transform our behavior as we submit to his way of thinking, as we submit to his word. Today is the day to say, Jesus, at your word. Let us pray. Almighty God, we acknowledge that many times we slide into religious activity. We acknowledge that many times we are inconsistent. God, it's our desire this morning to be people transformed. This morning, Lord, I pray for anyone that has not submitted to you. I pray for anyone today, Lord, that has not said, yes, be my Lord. God, I ask that you would work a miracle right now in everyone's hearts, that people would declare faith in you. And Lord Jesus, I pray this next week that you would give us all submissive hearts to say at your word. God, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your patience with us. In Jesus' name, amen.